0: This is episode 263 of the AWS podcast, released on September 15th, 2018. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the AWS podcast. Simon Lesha here with you. Great to have you back, and we have a jam-packed episode this time around. Lots and lots of updates to explore and to share with you. And I'm gonna start with something that is pretty exciting. Uh, Rather than starting with something functional, we're gonna start with something cost related. Uh, Amazon LightSail, which is our service that lets you quickly deploy web workloads using a pre-configured operating system and application stack templates. So things like WordPress, Magento, LAMP stacks, Windows Server, et cetera. Well, the team have announced a 50% price drop That's right, 50%, and two new instance sizes. So now you can deploy your applications uh, with larger memory options, so 16 gig and 32 gig of RAM, also SSD as well. But that significant price drop, which applies across the board for all the Amazon LightSail instances, allows you to get benefit really, really quickly without having to do anything. Now, the new prices apply to all LightSail instances starting from August the 1st, 2018. Something else that's new in the compute space is the new Amazon EC2 T3 instances. Now there's a great blog post that I'll link to in the show notes that covers all the nuances of this but really this is the next generation of EC2 burstable general purpose instances. Now these T3 instances give you a great balance of compute, memory and network resources and give you a base level of CPU performance with the ability to burst above the baseline when you need to. Now, one of the great things about the T3 instances is a combination of the AWS Nitro system, which is a very lightweight hardware accelerated hypervisor, and also some of the latest high-frequency Intel Xeon scalable processors, it gives you basically up to 30% better price to performance over the T2 instances. Now, these new uh, Xeon Scalable processes also give you the new AVX512 instructions. So this may further accelerate performance depending on the applications that you're running. And the T3 instances also support enhanced networking with up to five gig in network bandwidth as well using elastic network adapters. So this provides a really great general purpose compute platform to use for a whole lot of different things, could be your microservices, low latency interactive applications, small databases, medium databases, development, build and stage environments, code repositories, business critical applications, really anything that you need for that kind of general all purpose workload. One of the other good things to do is to consider your existing uh, state of infrastructure. And if you have auto scaling groups, for example, that are using T2 instances, you may wish to flip them over to T3, do a bit of an experiment to see what makes sense from a price performance perspective. They come in seven different sizes. You can get them on demand, reserved and spot. And they're available in US East North Virginia, US East Ohio. US West North California, US West Oregon, Canada Central, Asia Pacific Singapore, Asia Pacific Sydney, Asia Pacific Tokyo, Europe Frankfurt, Europe Island, Europe London, South America, Sao Paulo as well. Some of the other newer EC2 instance types are also available in additional regions. So the EC2 M5D instance types are also now available in the Seoul, Singapore, Sydney, Tokyo and London regions as well. We've also expanded the availability of the C5D instances in Tokyo and Sydney also. Now having all these great instance types available, you'd probably wanna use them for different things. So one of the great tools that we have for customers is a service called AWS Batch. And this lets you run hundreds of thousands of batch computing jobs on AWS. Basically AWS Batch dynamically provisions the right quantity and type of compute resource based upon the volume and resource requirements of the work you're giving. Batch is not going away, so we've tried to make it easier and better to operate in that using AWS Batch because it is a modality that's very much used uh, around the development community, scientists and engineers as well. So the good news is that AWS Batch now supports the Z1D, R5D, R5, M5D, C5D, P3, and X1E instance types. Now, I'll give you the summary of all those. They are absolutely booming levels of performance that you get with those instance types, be it through lots of CPU, memory, fast disk, or a combination thereof. So you can really mix and match the infrastructure that you're using to get your batch workloads done. A very common design pattern we see customers using is of course caching in memory and Amazon Elastic Cache makes that easy with Memcache and Redis. And Amazon ElastiCache now supports the in-place version upgrade for Redis cluster, which is great. Uh, this means you don't have to do any of the manual snapshot, restoring a new cluster, change your endpoints. It all happens in place and your cluster continues to operate whilst the upgrade is in process. And the cluster is available for reads during the entire upgrade and is available for writes for most of the upgrade duration, except for the failover operation, which lasts just a few seconds. So this is a really cool capability if you run uh, Redis clusters in your environment. Now, I know many of our listeners are big users and fans of AWS CloudFormation, which is a templating uh, language to control basically all of your AWS resources. It allows you to create these really good reusable templates that you can share with others and gives you that infrastructure as code experience. Well, there is a big new release for AWS CloudFormation, something called AWS CloudFormation Macros. Now, this allows you to perform custom processing on your CloudFormation templates from simple things like find or replace to complete transformations of entire templates. Now, this is a technology that was already behind things like AWS Include and AWS Serverless Transforms. This, though, opens it up to let you do pretty much whatever you need to do. So this allows you to have uh, great flexibility in how you build your CloudFormation templates. There's some really good resources to have a look at for examples of how to do this. And it is now available in all AWS regions that have AWS Lambda. Uh, there's a full region table in the show notes. You'll be able to see that. But this is a great way to really add expression and flexibility to the CloudFormation templates beyond what they can do natively. So we know that a lot of customers have been really excited to have this capability. So it's there now. Another thing for AWS CloudFormation is it supports AWS PrivateLink. So this now means you can use the AWS CloudFormation APIs inside of your virtual private cloud and route data between your VPC and CloudFormation entirely within the AWS network as well. Now, of course, a lot of our customers are building containerized applications these days and the Amazon Elastic Container Service for Kubernetes or EKS now has an updated EKS optimized Amazon machine image and a CloudFormation template to make it easier to provision worker nodes for your Amazon EKS cluster on AWS. Now, what has happened here is there's been some decoupling around how the template is built and how the user data is sent to the instances, and it has been refactored to make sure that it's far more efficient and flexible. There's a bit of detail in that, which I'm not gonna go into here for the uh, benefit of brevity. However, have a read through how the new EKS optimized AMI and CloudFormation template work together to get it to work in your stack. Another really interesting addition to EKS is it now supports running containers on GPU enabled EC2 instances. So now the P3 and P2 instances, which feature NVIDIA GPUs are now accessible to you when you're running your EKS uh, Amazon machine images. Now, what's important is there is the new Amazon EKS optimized AMI, which includes the configured Nvidia drivers for these instance types. So it makes it very easy to set up. Uh, If any of you listening have spent time installing drivers for various graphics cards, you'll know that we've just saved you a lot of time. I know I've wasted many an hour getting a graphics card up and working. The other big shift for EKS is it's now moved to platform version EKS 2, and this enables support for horizontal pod autoscaling and for the Kubernetes metrics server. Now, this version number is important to understand because it refers to a specific patch version of Kubernetes, as well as the Kubernetes API server configuration. So essentially a new platform version is released to reflect when the Kubernetes patch versions are released or changes are made to how EKS has configured the Kubernetes API server. So everything that was uh, created before August the 30th of 2018 is EKS.1 and new clusters from then on are EKS.2 and will continue to increase in versions as things change. So a good thing to understand if you're taking advantage of Amazon EKS. Continuing with the theme of containerization, the Amazon Elastic Container Service, ECS, now includes integrated service discovery in additional regions. So we had this released earlier in a few regions. It's now available in Frankfurt, London, Tokyo, Sydney, and Singapore regions. And this makes it easy to discover other services. Now, if you've worked in containerization, you'll know that service discovery becomes a thing that you need to worry about. This makes it a lot easier to find those services. And speaking of easier, uh, if you don't want to worry about managing your containers or doing scheduling or anything like that, well, welcome to AWS Fargate, which is a great platform capability to just run your containers without having to worry about some of the other things. Now, I know a lot of customers said, I love using this, but I want the ability to support regular tasks that are scheduled or event-based, et cetera. Well, wait no more. You can now run tasks on a regular scheduled basis and in response to CloudWatch events. So you can start and stop things on a time basis, on an event basis, basically anything that works within CloudWatch events, which has a very flexible capacity to schedule things and react to things, allows you to do things in basically response to any activity that takes place. So AWS FireGate now supports that capability, which opens up a wealth of workloads for that particular platform. One of the things we love doing is making things work faster here at Amazon because making things work faster and at low cost gets you done quicker and gets you the ability to do more things well. So the Amazon Athena team have done some work on the JDBC driver and they have improved performance dramatically when retrieving results. In fact, the new version now delivers up to two times better performance when fetching results less than 10,000 rows and approximately five to six times better performance when fetching results larger than 10,000 rows compared to the old drivers. And this is enabled by default. bunch of other improvements in the release notes, but that performance one is certainly worth the price of admission. Sounds like it's time to update your JDBC driver if you're using that one. Another great performance improvement, again, at no cost and no change on your end is the AWS Key Management Service or KMS, which is a hugely popular service with customers to help make encryption end-to-end easy. So the team have increased the request rate limit for a core set of the KMS API operations. These include the decrypt, encrypt, generate data key, generate data key without plain text, generate random and re-encrypt calls. So the request rate limits have been increased from 1,200 requests per second to 10,000 requests per second in US East North Virginia, US West Oregon and EU Island regions. And in all the other regions where KMS is available, the limits have increased to 5,500 requests per second. What this lets you do is scale up easier. The high request limits are automatically rolled out to your account, you don't have to do anything to increase them. However, if you already have approved limits that are higher than the new limits, you'll continue to have access to those higher limits as well. Now I've just spent the last few days uh, at our Canberra summit with many of our public sector customers. It's been great having chats with them about the direction they're going in and the work they're doing. And one of the topics that came up a lot was Amazon DynamoDB as a really effective data repository for many of their applications. So one of the things that the team have made available is the Amazon DynamoDB Local capability, which is available with a new Docker image. So this lets you test and develop your DynamoDB applications by using that local Docker image. So you can prototype your applications, have all the dependencies built in, you just get up and running and start operating without the need for an internet connection and giving you complete compatibility with all of your existing DynamoDB API calls. Uh, You don't have to worry about provision throughput or data storage or transfer costs because it's all running locally and it's available now as a download as a self-contained Docker image or a jar file that can run on Microsoft Windows, Linux, Mac OS and pretty much anything else that supports Java. So that's a good way to get up and running. Another thing of great interest to many customers around Amazon DynamoDB is of course, the global tables capability. These are now available in additional regions. So they're now available in US West North California and EU London regions as well. So this gives you immense capability across a variety of regions. In fact, it's available in Ohio, North Virginia, California, Oregon, Tokyo, Seoul, Singapore, Sydney, Frankfurt Island, and London. So you can really get yourself going global if that suits your use case. If you're more focused on the relational side of the house, the RDMS, well, there are now improvements to the performance insights capability in RDS, it now supports MySQL. So this is a really great advanced database performance monitoring feature that lets you solve those pesky performance problems. So the idea of performance insights, it allows non-experts to detect performance problems with a simple dashboard to visualize their database load and they can take action very, very quickly. Now, this offers a free tier with seven days of data retention and a paid long-term data retention option. It's very simple to activate and to use, and it gives you great insight into MySQL, Postgres on RDS, and Amazon Aurora, and additional database engines are also in preview. So tuning your database is always a good thing. This makes it much easier for you to do so. But how do you move your data into that database or from that database somewhere else? Well, AWS Glue is the service that does that. It is a fantastic serverless service to create and run ETL jobs and allows you to scan data sets, transform them automatically and deploy them somewhere else. And AWS Glue now supports data encryption at rest. So this means you can configure your jobs to use the key management service KMS to write encrypted data at rest. You can also encrypt the metadata stored in the glue data catalog using keys that you manage with AWS KMS. You could also use AWS KMS keys to encrypt the job bookmarks and the logs generated by crawlers and ETL jobs. So you should always encrypt where you can. This lets you do it very, very simply and quickly. One of the things that are really popular with a lot of customers I speak to is our quick starts. These are very easy ways to get going in certain domains. And there's a new quick start for VFX workstations. So this allows you to do special effects basically, or visual effects using G3 GPU instances. So these are designed for graphics intensive workloads and work really effectively for managing this type of content. It also ties in Teradici's PC over IP technology and Teradici cloud access software to let you have a really powerful remote desktop experience. You can also set up AWS Direct Connect for low latency network connections back to your studio. So if you're doing visual effects, this might be a quick start to have a look at. Uh, Links in the show notes, simple cloud formation to get up and running quickly. And obviously many organizations are learning far more about uh, machine learning, artificial intelligence, deep learning, et cetera. And we continue to invest in those areas to support customers initiatives in that space. The AWS Deep Learning AMIs for Ubuntu and Amazon Linux are a foundation piece of that, where you can grab these AMIs and have things that are set up for you ready to go. The latest version of the AMIs include TensorFlow 1.10, PyTorch with CUDA 9.2, and lots, lots more enhancements. In fact, if it's something you are interested in, this is a update you should do. We have lots of optimizations taking place, including uh, optimizations for use with the P3 instances, a whole range of TensorFlow optimizations for AWS that are linked in a separate uh, blog post as well. So what's important to understand is this space is moving very, very quickly. And so it's important to keep up to date with the latest toolings. So if you're using the AWS Deep Learning AMI, this is something you should really get uh, to the latest version as soon as possible. Another AI-related service is, of course, Amazon Recognition, which is a deep learning-based image and video analysis service that lets you identify objects, people, text, scenes, and activities, as well as detect any inappropriate content. So there is a new API call, which is the describe collection API, which lets you discover information about your face collections. So the number of faces stored, the face model version you're using, et cetera, it basically makes it much easy to manage your collections overall. And you can also do things like versioning, create better security protocols around that as well. So it gives you more flexibility in how you use that. Now I mentioned the deep learning AMIs, and that's great if you wanna spin up an AMI and get really into the guts of some machine learning. But one of the services that is super popular with customers is Amazon SageMaker, because this allows you to get up and running using a more abstracted view of machine learning algorithms and lets you deploy into production very, very quickly. Well, the SageMaker team have been very, very busy and they now support TensorFlow 1.10, which gives you a great uh, set of improvements around performance, bug fixes, new complex data types, uh, which are really important for some of the cutting edge things that are going on. They've also created a new custom header for the invoke endpoint API action. Now this allows you to provide additional information about an inference request or response. So you can provide things like a trace ID, some sort of application specific identifier or metadata, just to help you understand what's going to and from. So this is a really new uh, feature to help you track end to end what's going into your SageMaker models and out again. Another thing I'm seeing customers really investing in heavily is the Internet of Things, the ability to deploy sensors in different locations and take effective action. Now, working the Internet of Things means dealing at different scale and different challenges. Uh, One of the things that we released uh, recently was the Amazon Free Artos, which is a great operating system that made... uh, a lot of these devices work better and easier in a very supportable way. And the team have just released the over the air update feature as a generally available feature. So, what this means is you can use over the air updates to remotely deploy security updates, bug fixes, and new firmware images to microcontrolled based devices in the field. This is a non trivial thing. So, the fact that you can keep things up to date makes things a lot easier. But having those things out there is one thing, using the data in an efficient and effective way is a totally other thing. And that's where AWS IoT analytics comes into play. And you can now containerize your custom analysis code, automatic execution on a set schedule, and analyze only the incremental data you need when you need it. So this creates a really interesting way to analyze the data flows that are coming in and pay attention to the data flows you want versus maybe the avalanche of data you may be getting from a wide variety of device types. So what this gives you is flexibility. You can use third party tools, you can use your own tools to generate these operational insights that you need running within those containers. Another challenge that many customers have faced with the internet of things is the number of things out there. I mean, they run into the millions. So the AWS IoT device management now allows things groups indexing. So this means you can quickly find your thing groups based upon name, attributes, description, parent group name, etc. So you can, for example, query your fleet index to see, well, who has what particular version of firmware or which things belong to a test group, et cetera. This gives you a lot more capability in managing those burgeoning fleets. And another challenge that tends to get in the way for a lot of people when they're dealing with their IT devices is, of course, security. So the AWS IT core team have now added new endpoints serving Amazon Trust Services or ATS signed Certificates to help customers avoid the semantic distrust issues. Now, if you've followed the uh, interesting world of certification authorities, etc., there have been some uh, issues around the upcoming distrust of semantic certificate authorities by Google, Apple and Mozilla uh, just to name a few. So what is happening is that customers can now create additional AWS IT core endpoints for their account in each region that will serve an Amazon Trust Service or ATS science certificate instead of a VeriSign science certificate. So this helps you avoid those issues. So if that's an issue that's top of mind, you have a solution that you can roll out straight away. So let's move on to networking. We've talked compute, we've talked database, we've talked things. Let's talk networking. AWS WAF, which is the Web Application Firewall Service, now has comprehensive logging functionality. And I know a lot of customers have wanted this, and it is now here uh, for customers to use. It supports full logging of all web requests inspected by the service. Now, naturally, You can store these logs on Amazon S3 for compliance and auditing needs. You can also use them for debugging and other forensics as well. You can also integrate them into your SIM or log analysis tools also. Basically for each request, you get the AWS WAF log, which provides raw HTTP, HTTPS headers, along with information around which rules were triggered So you can troubleshoot your rules as well. And you can also get these logs from an Amazon Kinesis Firehose in the JSON format. So there's a bit more information about how you can get access to these logs and plug them into other locations. Uh, Very, very effective, very, very quick and easy. So a good integration to take advantage of now. Some other network updates, and this time in the physical realm, AWS Direct Connect, which of course allows you to connect your existing sites into AWS infrastructure in a dedicated way, gives you resilience, redundancy, gives you a predictable latency, et cetera. There are now new Direct Connect locations in Dubai, Paris, and Taipei. So you can take advantage of many of these locations to service your particular workloads. Another networking change is the Amazon Route 53 auto naming, which is now available in five additional regions. So it's now been rolled out to Frankfurt, London, Tokyo, Singapore and Sydney regions in in addition to the existing regions that were already there. And basically what this does is simplifies the management of DNS names and health checks for microservices that you run on top of AWS. So you can call the auto naming APIs to create a service, register more instances of it with that name. You can also unpopulate that as well. So it really makes life a lot easier if you're working in a spread out microservices environment. It's been interesting to watch how customers deal with their large scale data. And one of the uh, big services that came out a little while ago is Amazon S3, S3 Select. Now this allows you to run queries directly on data that's stored in S3 without having to do any pre-processing. And it also is designed to pull out only the data you need from an object rather than having to get the entire object uh, required for that data access. Now, uh, we're at launch uh, S3 select worked on objects stored in CSV and JSON format. And we got a lot of customer feedback around the other formats they'd like to see. So it's really exciting to announce that S3 select now supports the Apache Parquet format, JSON arrays, bzip2 compression for CSV and for JSON objects. And there's also now support for CloudWatch metrics for SRE select. So you can see your usage and your performance management for those particular accesses. Now, this uh, extension in the number of formats supported means you can take great uh, advantage of some formats that are really optimized for certain use cases. So, for example, Parquet is widely adopted, supports lots of query engines, things like Hive, Presto and Parler, uh, Spark, MapReduce as well. And what this is really suited to is columnar formats. Uh, type access and it also supports columnar compression like gzip and snappy so this allows you to have a whole lot of different use cases by accessing data in the parquet format stored in s3 and only accessed as and when you need to so this is a really exciting improvement again based on customer feedback if this is something that's interesting to you it's a good time to take advantage of it it's available in all regions that s3 select is already available in Something a lot of customers uh, do a lot of work in is dealing with large scale deployments on AWS. And the AWS Systems Manager was designed to make that easier and more straightforward and later operate at scale with very low human interaction. And one of the things that really ties into this concept is the ability to create automated workflows that respond to certain situations. And the great news is, is that you can now call AWS APIs in response to certain automation workflows. So now you can use three new AWS API actions, execute, assert, and wait. And what these do is allow to make a change within a particular AWS service directly from the AWS systems manager. So for example, you could automate securing your S3 buckets by calling the execute action to encrypt the buckets and another execute action to ensure they're private. Uh, if you have a workflow, for example, to start an EC2 instance, you could use the wait to wait for it to become active and then store the instance ID as a systems manager parameter. There are so many use cases for this. Uh, I can't possibly explain them all, but what this means is you can actually instrument your own environment in an automated way at great scale, but maintain simplicity. So you don't lose track of what's going on. So take a look at these. Again, these new AWS API actions execute. So do something, assert, and wait. These are the things that are available to you to run safe at scale operations with approvals. However, if you're more in the serverless side of the world, well, the AWS Serverless Application Repository has now added sorting functionality and improve the search experience. This repository allows developers and teams and different organizations to discover, deploy, store, and share their serverless applications. So obviously, if you're doing that, you want to be able to find them easily. So now the team have dramatically improved the ability to search, sort, and deploy these applications. So go and take a look at some of the applications that are out there. It may well be that the thing you're looking to build has already been built, and you can just go ahead and deploy it. Another tool that developers use a lot when they're developing serverless applications is the Adibus Serverless Application Model or SAM command line interface. This lets you locally build, test and debug your serverless applications using these templates. Now, there've been some big changes to this particular capability. You can now use the SAM CLI to debug Lambda applications written in Go, in addition to those written in Java, Python, and Node.js. You can also now use the SAM local generate event command to generate sample event payloads for 50 plus events. So things like uh, CloudFront, CloudFormation, step functions, Alexa, uh, S3, Kinesis, streams, DynamoDB, etc., etc. What this means you can simulate your events in local testing and debugging and rapidly get to the bottom of any issues that you may have in your code. So this is really, really powerful in terms of getting that efficiency in development. It seems like we've moved into the debugging space, haven't we? Uh, debugging is what 80% of what we do as developers. So AWS X-Ray, which is a service that lets you see end-to-end performance of particular service calls, et cetera, has now added support for controlling the sampling rate from the X-Ray console. So you can now choose the rate at which your application records the service request through the console, the SDKs, and the API. So this lets you control the sampling rate during an operational event without the need to deploy or restart your application. So you can kind of dial up or dial down the fidelity of the inspection that X-Ray is giving you. In addition, I know a lot of customers use Amazon API Gateway. Well, it now has support for AWS X-Ray as well. So this makes it much easier for you to trace and analyze your user requests as they go through the API to the underlying service. One of the great things about X-Ray is it gives you that end-to-end view of all the components and lets you understand where there might be inefficiencies, issues, or problems. And still on the developer standpoint, AWS CodeBuild is a really useful capability to build your projects. And you may have looked at AWS CodeBuild in the past and said, if only I could create build projects with multiple input sources and output artifacts. Well, now you can. Uh, You can use one or more sources from Amazon S3, uh, AWS CodeCommit, GitHub, GitHub Enterprise or Bitbucket and you can upload multiple sets of artifacts to one or more Amazon S3 buckets. You can also choose to have no input source as well. So there's lots of different options and the AWS Cloud Pipeline integration with CodeBuild lets you create some really interesting combinations that might just suit your specific developer tool chain. And speaking of toolchains, AWS Amplify have now provided a complete CLI toolchain for developing your mobile and web applications in the cloud with serverless backend components. So, what this means is you can build, customize, and deploy your applications in a very familiar, category based style with architectural best practices built in. Now the Amplify CLI supports iOS, Android and JavaScript projects, and it gives you a lot of flexibility in terms of how you create things very, very easily without having to build a whole lot of code. It also now includes a GraphQL transformer, which means you can build an AWS AppSync API by simply using your data model. So you just add some simple annotations on your data model and it automatically gets converted to AWS AppSync deployments, backed by Amazon Cognito, DynamoDB, Elasticsearch Service, etc. So it's really, really powerful. I'm not doing justice to all the things that are in there. We might do a deep dive into Amplify soon, but this is something that's available now if this is a world you work in. One of my favorite AWS services is the Amazon Kinesis service, and Kinesis Data Analytics has added a new capability to let you handle time series analytics in the face of late data. Now, Let's unpack this a little bit. So streaming data is processed seconds after the data is created and network disruptions, latency can cause some events to have their processing delayed. Now, when you're doing real-time analytics, you don't want that late data, but you know it's gonna happen. And so data that arrives after an initial result is that is generated is called late data. So Amazon Kinesis Data Analytics can now be configured to produce a Delta or an update to the initial result if data arrives late. So this is called the stagger window capability and it allows you to control when you want more timely results with more updates or less timely results with fewer to no updates. So you can have a lot of flexibility in what is most use for your particular use case. Another change related to Amazon Kinesis in this relates to Amazon Kinesis video streams. There is now a streams producer SDK available for Microsoft Windows. So this lets you stream video into AWS from sources such as webcams, USB cameras, or network-based RTSP cameras connected to your Microsoft Windows machine. And back to talking a little bit about managing at scale, one of the things that really helps customers ensure their environment is working the way they want from a policy standpoint is to use the AWS Config Service. Now this allows you to assess, audit, and evaluate the configurations of your AWS resources in real time. And there are now seven new managed rules to help you evaluate whether things are in concert with the best practices that you want in your environment. Some of those things include non-compliant patches, uh, non compliant uh, systems manager associations on your instances. You can verify that Amazon Guard Duty is enabled or centralized. Do so. Uh, you can check if your RDS snapshots are public, et cetera, et cetera. So, this is a fantastic capability to ensure that things are running as you like without putting unnecessary blocks or controls in the way of your development teams or infrastructure teams. They can go ahead and build the way they need to whilst maintaining within these controls you've set up with that AWS Config. And last but not least, I want to talk a bit about contact centers. This is something that uh, certainly a lot of the customers I work with is a big focus of what they do. You know, they're engaging with citizens, with customers, with people. They need multiple modes of interaction. One of those is through contact centers. So the AWS Quick Start team have worked with some of our AWS partners on three new Amazon Connect integrations that offer contact center solutions. So if you use CallMiner Eureka, Aspect Workforce Management or the Aquion Engagement Cloud, you can in integrate this into Amazon Connect uh, very, very easily and simply, which lets you create a better contact center experience based around the Amazon Connect capability. So if contact centers is your thing, this is something you'd probably want to look at. So, we covered a great deal again today. I hope there was something for everyone. I'm going to try and experiment in these particular update episodes with a little bit more metadata in the episode around categorization. We'll see how that goes. Uh, like I say, it's an experiment. So, we're always trying to do things. Please do tell others about the podcast. Word of mouth is our best thing. If you get a chance to go to your favorite podcatcher and give us a review or give us uh, five stars, we'd really appreciate that as well. And of course, we do love to get your feedback. AWS Podcast at Amazon.com. And until next time, keep on building.